Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, and I just want to welcome you uh, online, and thank you for joining us that way, and at our six physical locations, four in northwest Georgia, two in, in the Tennessee area, southern Tennessee, so just thank you however you're here. Thank you for being here. Believe you're not here by accident, but that God's got something for you as we jump in to a ripple effect. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're navigating through this entire letter that's found in the Bible from the Apostle Paul to Corinth. We found that there is a lot of parallels and principles that apply back then, that apply to us today. So it's just been a great series so far, and we're continuing in it. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn them on, open them up. We'll be in chapter 10 today, and we've got a lot of stuff and a lot of content, and we're going to talk about something that everybody's interested in, living our best or your best or my best, living our best life, and how can we do that and what does that look like? Tons of advice on that, right, out there in the world of advertising, on social media, talk shows, everybody, you know, has some advice on how to live our best life. So what I want to ask you to do is suspend whatever you heard or whatever definition you have for living your best life, open your heart up, and let's ask God to show us uh, maybe his answer to this question, the biblical answer to this question, one we're all dealing with. Let me pray for all of us, then we'll get to work. God, we need your help this weekend. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has a lot of stuff in it, God. And so, Lord, help our minds just to be focused, to absorb supernatural, divine truth from you. God, to receive the grace that's in these words, the power that's in these words, because your word is living and active. God, we need help right now just to humble our hearts, to open our hearts, and to be receptive, God, to what you want to do in our hearts. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Son, just to work amongst us. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to begin at the end of chapter 10, and then we're going to start from that ending point because it really is a summative verse for really all that we've journeyed for so, through so far in 1 Corinthians 10, and then we'll work backwards. So if we were to say living our best life, what does that look like? You know, a lot of us would have a circumstantial definition, a materialistic definition, something to do with the power we have, the position we have, the people that we're over, the possessions that we own something to do with that. that. That's typically what modern American, here's your best life now, because maybe we're healthy, our loved ones are healthy, all of those things. But if we were to say, hey, is there one Bible verse that could capture what it's like to live your best life? It would be this verse. It's, the, it's really one of the few verses I've ever asked my sons just to memorize. It was the first one after we adopted them, and they learned English that they memorized. And, and I, don't, I, can't get, I can't do any better. Here it is. You may disagree with it. You may have questions, but we're going to unpack it. Here it is. Living your best life according to the Bible. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. You see the potential in that? So, I mean, because everything, whatever, whether you eat or drink, I mean, all, that's pretty comprehensive and all-encompassing. This is not dependent upon a circumstance, a situation. It's not dependent upon an age or an education level. It's not dependent on that. It's dependent upon aiming our hearts at the glory of God. Now, there's a little threat there. 
Because a lot of us naturally know how to live for the glory of me, myself, and I. We don't really need any help on that. And sometimes we want to enlist God to help us live for our glory. But this says the glory of God. So there may be some conviction, maybe an area of repentance. But before we jump past that, here's the big question. How do we glorify an already all-glorious God? I can't add to God's glory. I, I, I can't make God more glorious than he is. He's the most glorious being, entity in the cosmos. I can't do anything to add to his glory. So how do I glorify God? And, and this is where so many people miss what's awesome about Christianity. So many people miss what's awesome about following Jesus. Because oftentimes we think of following Jesus, giving the steering wheel of our life to Jesus. Hey, I'm going to have to lose some happiness. I'm going to have to give up some things that bring me joy and bring me comfort and all that. And that may be true, but the beautiful thing about living for the glory of God, the, the biblical definition of living for your best life is this. The way you glorify an already all-glorious God is by enjoying Him. Okay, so let me, let me put it this way, okay? If I told you that one of my favorite desserts in the planet is the peanut butter pie at the filling station in downtown Dalton, and I told you that, hey, I'm going to lunch there tomorrow, and I'm going to have some peanut butter pie, and you said, well, enjoy it, I would say, you bet your life on it. I definitely am going to enjoy it. It just goes without saying, I'm going to enjoy it. I don't go into the kitchen and say, hey, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, and then try to add to or change the recipe. I just enjoy it as it is, and that enjoyment gives glory to whoever's recipe that is and whoever put it all together. If, I, if you told me you're a beach person, and you said, hey, I'm going to the beach next week. And I said, man, enjoy it and have a great time. You would be like, it goes without saying, I'm going to be at the beach. Now, when you go to the beach, you don't look up in the sky and, and, and say, hey, let me make the sun brighter. Let me bring, I'm going to bring a gallon of sand and just make the beach a little more sandier. You know, you, know, you just go to the beach, and as it is in its beauty, you enjoy it, and thus you give glory to the beach, and if you're a Christ follower, to the God who created the beach. I can't add to the glory of peanut butter pie. I can't add to the glory of a beautiful beach image. I can't do it. If someone has a ton of wisdom, a ton of wisdom, like, so think about your doctor, a counselor, a wise person, and, and, and they give you great advice. You go to them with an issue, and they give you, like, man, this is the best advice. You follow that advice. And, I mean, you don't, like, you can't add to that. You just thank them and obey or follow the wisdom and the insights and the principles that they shared with you. That's how you give, that's how you just enjoy the wisdom they give for you. Who's wiser than God? Who created the beach? Who gave human beings the capacity to think of something so beautiful as peanut butter pie? God did, right? So if, if we were to say, hey, I'm going to get in the Bible, I'm going to have time with God, and I were to say, man, enjoy that, we should say, amen, because God is glorified when we enjoy him. However, most of us, let's just be honest, whether you grew up in the Bible Belt or wherever you grew up or you grew up in church, you grew up out of church, most of us don't have a category for enjoying God. We have a category for believing in God. 
We have a category for knowing facts or, or information about God. We might have a category for obeying God. We might, we might have a category for learning more about God. But most of us don't have a category for enjoying God, which is parallel to giving God glory, which is parallel to living our best life now. This is why Paul in other places says things like this. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice Most of us, we know what it's like to rejoice in something for an evening. We know what it's like to rejoice in something for a season. We know what it's like to rejoice in something for the moment that we're in. But we don't know always about rejoicing in the Lord always. But he's eternal. And the scripture just said, whatever we do, we can do it for the glory of God. Therefore, we can enjoy God always and thus bring glory glory to God by doing that. So, so the power in this is incredible. Now, I want you to see the potential in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Because every one of us walked in here with a whatever and an everything. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So that means our capacity for joy and happiness is probably a lot higher than we think it is. Some of us, our definition of happiness is so narrow and so defined by America or our culture or our personal preference or our personal expectations. And I'm praying God blows that up and shows us, man, we all have a whatever, we have an everything. We can enjoy God, rejoice in the Lord always, and let's bring glory to God. Let's be on our best life now. Secondly, everyone is already a glory junkie. You could say, Matt, I am not smoking what you're selling. Right? You could say, hey, I don't believe what you're talking about. I'm not even a Christian yet, but here's what you already are just when you walked in the door because you're a human being. You're a glory junkie. And getting to know you, we'd find that out. Now, if you're like a football guy, you glory in a pick six. If you're a baseball guy person, you glory like in a no-hitter. Right? If, if you're a dessert person, either my peanut butter pie, if it didn't get you, how about a triple-layer chocolate cake? You glory in those kind of things, Right? If you're a nature person and you're like mountains, man, you go up and see a mountain view, see a waterfall from a mountain stream, you, everybody is a glory junkie, which ought to tell us something about how we were originally wired to set our hearts on the all-glorious God. And that is our best life. Now we're going to work from verse 1 to how Paul gets to verse 31 about living for the glory of God. So we're starting with verse 1 through 4. Here we go. Now, I don't want you to be unaware. So he's, he's coaching, teaching against ignorance or delusion or deception. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he's using Old Testament experience and New Testament concepts as well. So he's talking about they were led by the cloud. God led them through the sea. They were baptized under the leadership of Moses, included in the Mosaic covenant. And Christians are baptized into the new covenant in Christ. All right, so he's using all this kind of metaphor, drawing from the old to talk about the new. Then he says they all ate the same spiritual food. 
So God was nourishing them. God was providing for them. And food nourishes, but God also gave us taste buds so we can enjoy food, praise the Lord, right? So we've got all that going here. And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, the source of everything that was happening to the Israelites, and God parallels the presence and the deliverance and the path to joy and freedom of the promised land. He's paralleling that to the deliverance, the presence, and the inclusion that we have of being adopted into Christ and spending glory with him. So all of those things Paul's tying together for his audience. But he says, look, they didn't necessarily know it yet, But Jesus was behind all that provision. Jesus was behind that power. Jesus was involved in that rescue as the Redeemer, as the Son of God. And so what we have to say, if we are going to move forward on our best life, the first thing is just recognition, and it might involve repentance, that the source of the best life is God. He's going to talk about it in a second, and I'll define it for us. But some of us, if we're completely honest, we would say, no, 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 God helps me get the best life, and the best life to me is more money, or the best life to me is being here by the age of 40, or the best life to me is having this by the time I retire, or the best life to me is X, Y, and Z. But if it's not the glory of God, we fall short of the glory of God, which is by definition a sin. And we're living less than our best life. So we have to, it will preach, amen. So, so the source of our best life is God. So I, I just want to ask us all a personal question, myself included, okay? If you thought of yourself as a tree or a plant and you have roots and those roots go down into a soil and that soil feeds you, sources you. Your, just your identity, your joy, your happiness, your purpose. Where are you planted and rooted right now? Where are we planted and rooted right now? The design of God is that we're planted in him. Listen to Paul. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Don't move. Stay on the path. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built upon him. The rock analogy that we just read from 1 Corinthians, built on him, grow down into him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth as you were taught, You were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Overflow, that's joy, right? That's happiness. That's contentment. And so all of that is, is asking this question of where we're rooted in. Now, here's, the, here's where we have to have some distinction because the the world and we're going to get to this but the world also offers joy and where we have to begin to differentiate between the joy of the Lord that brings glory to him and the joy of the world is is first in this there's the nature of the joy and the experience of the joy the world offers an experience But the nature of that joy could be based on corruption or deception or delusion. And this is where you, this is where our battle is, okay? Because the world offers joy. And a lot of the joy that the world offers, sourced by the world, sourced by sin, sourced by flesh, sourced by the ego, rooted in those things, 
We still experience euphoria or we're like, man, that was the best Friday night ever. And we did something we shouldn't have done, right? It's still joy. I'm not dismissing that. But it's the nature of the joy that we have to evaluate and assess. So let, let's, let me help us do that, okay? There's delusional and ignorant joy. Like the people on the Titanic, pretty happy till they hit the iceberg. So it's not enough for us to say, it tastes good, feels good, makes me feel better about myself. It's not enough to say, man, I just had that, I got that goosebump feeling. I can't wait to do that again. Because if it leads us to destruction, it's delusional joy, right? It doesn't glorify God, and it's not what's best for us. And the beauty of living for the glory of God is because God is also all loving. He's all glorious, and he's all loving. When we live for his glory, he loves us too much. He, we're not, he's not going to let us settle for the less than the best. So he is going to intervene to get us off and rescue us from the Titanic and the iceberg of our sinfulness and flesh and the deception and the delusion of the world. So we find joy not this delusional, destined to fail us, but joy in the Lord, which lasts forever. Right? So now Paul is going to talk about this battle that we've just talked about. Here's what he goes to. Excuse me, let me get one more point. So the joy we're talking about is durable and eternal from Christ, who's the everlasting rock. And there's a difference and a distinction. That's what I'm talking about. The nature of the joy, is it delusional and ignorant, short-lived, or is it durable and eternal, which is from the rock? Now, he goes on. He says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Since they were struck down in the wilderness. So God had to deal with people who lived for less than him, his glory, and the joy that comes from that. So now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. And he says, "This here's the problem. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, and he quotes something that happened in the Exodus, the people sat down to eat and, play, to eat and drink, and they got up to party. That's delusional joy. It was fun while it lasted. But when it ended, it brought disaster and death and judgment and destruction. And so we have to acknowledge something. And I think this is where a lot of us, have, we're such good consumers, and we're good fans. Like, you know, you can come to church, and you can just be a fan. A fan is like, man, do I like the music? Do I like the sermon or not? Did I like the game? Did I like the show or not? But we're actually called to actively seek our joy in the Lord. And so just sitting passively, maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. Maybe the game is going to be good on Saturday. Maybe that movie is going to be good. Maybe it's not. That's just how we're accustomed to, you know, what, to experiencing joy in a consumeristic society. What we need to get out of this is this. There's a fight for the best life. There's a fight for the best life. It doesn't just fall into our laps. It doesn't just happen. We have to fight. And the enemy, the real enemy, is idolatry. I read this quote today, and it struck me significantly. The quote was, the enemy of our joy is not suffering. It's idolatry. 
The enemy of our joy is not suffering. It's idolatry. And what is an idol? It's anything we enjoy, treasure, or rely upon, and or rely upon, more than God in Christ. Anything I enjoy, treasure, or rely upon, trust in, more than God in Christ. And and Jonah has an interesting description of that. He says this, those who regard, I'm using the Amplified Translation, which expands upon the original language. Those who regard and follow worthless idols turn away from their living source of mercy and loving kindness. So we turn away from God, and we turn away from living for his glory and rejoicing in the Lord always. So let me just help us, because I think sometimes we read about idolatry in the Bible, and like, man, I don't have a wooden statue in my house. I believe in God. Let's move on. But idols can be good things. Idols can be anything. So let me kind of give us a little idol detector test. Here's a couple of things. Enjoyment turns into idolatry when? Our joy in something turns into idolatry when? It's forbidden by God. So it's explicitly forbidden by God we've moved into idolatry. It turns into idolatry when the joy we feel is disproportionate to its worth and value. Easily for us to put a lot of stock in entertainment, right, and sports, right? Like people wrote a rule like 150 years ago that if you take a pigskin oblong-shaped object and make it cross a goal line, then everybody goes crazy, right? Well, I mean, if that's the only source of joy we have, that's a little disproportionate, right? Lacking gratitude. Our joy in something lacks gratitude. When it starts to feel like a right or demand, and so if I lose it or take this away, I feel like I've lost something that I deserve. Enjoyment turns into idolatry when it draws us away from our actual responsibilities. Enjoyment turns into idolatry when it overlooks the needs of others. And then when you lose the joy or lose the idol or what you had, it hurts our trust in God. God, I cannot believe you took that from me. God, I cannot believe you let that happen to me. So you see how, like, your health can be an idol. Your marriage can be an idol. Your kids can be an idol. Your career, your job, your position, your social media account can be an idol. Those things are all more, are all kind of neutral and and really, or, or some of them are designed for good. We just get disordered desires and they become bad. So, What God is in in calling us to do with this is to embrace the fight for serious, steadfast joy in the Lord. We all know what superficial joy is. We all know what what happiness and glorifying in something that, because eventually you got to leave the beach. Eventually, I can't, eventually my body makes me stop eating the peanut butter pie, right? Eventually, the good feeling goes away. So God's saying, hey, we got to fight for serious, steadfast joy in him. And he started, one way to look at how what Paul's talking about is we need to use the weapons God has given us. We need the weapons God has given us. So we can't be passive. So what are some of the weapons that Paul begins to outline? So here what we got, here's what he does. He starts kind of breaking down some of the mistakes that the Jews, the Israelites made in the wilderness on the exodus out of Egypt. So he says this. 
Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did. And they were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples And they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So God had all of these things happen, and they were designed, and they were purposed, and God used them. And he says, look, these are examples of what not to do. And so some of the weapons God has given us, there's way more than I can list, but we have from the text the written word of God. So God had it recorded The book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, the life of Samson, the life of David, the life of all the kings. Why are those in the Bible? One of the reasons is they're examples, and they're included because there's timeless principles that keep us on a path or keeping us from getting off track on the path to glorifying the Lord, living our best life by rejoicing in experiencing God's joy always, right? And then there are warnings that God gives us in love. God warns us, just like good parents warn their kids, and kids are like, oh, I'll be fine. No, I'm warning you. I'll be fine. Dad, I thank you what you told me. I wish I had listened, right? I mean, we probably all said it to our parents at some point in our journey, right? Warnings given us in love. And if you and I would receive, listen, changes how you read the Bible. Changes how you come to church. If we would receive the written word of God and the warnings that he gives in love, not as threats to our joy, but as protection for our greatest joy and because it puts us on a path to glorify God. And then Paul says something real interesting. In verse 12, he says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. So he says, look, don't think you're better than them. Don't think you're beyond the capacity to fall. Matt Evans says it this way. We're all one decision away from stupid, okay? Our sin nature is still very much alive. So here's what he says, though. But now no temptation has come upon you, a temptation to pursue joy in an idol or something other than or apart from God. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity or all people. But God is faithful. So how is God faithful? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So so then, my dear friends, flee, get away from idolatry. Now, he does something very insightful here. He does not say we will never sin. He does not say we will never give in to temptation. He says, God promises, I will always give you a way out of temptation. I will always give you a way away from stupid. I will always provide a path so you don't have to fall. We'll unpack that in a second. But here's the weapon I think more and more of us in the church that Jesus Christ created need to adopt. And it's a mindset of victory. I think way too many Christians walk around, and this is what we say and preach to ourselves. Well, nobody's perfect. This is what we say to us. Well, we've all got our struggles. Well, I've got an anger issue, and so did my great-great-grandfather. 
Well, my daddy and my uncle, they like the bottle. And, you know, I think I just got that. And we walk around. Well, I'm just an anxious person. Well, I get stressed out easily. That does not match what Paul just wrote. Paul wrote and said, we ought to have a mindset that our God has made a path for us to experience victory over the dark domain, victory over deceitful, delusional desires, so we can have serious joy from this day forever. That's what he's saying. So being a defeated Christian is an oxymoron. Being a Christian who plays the I'm a victim card, no, you're not. You are a victor in Christ. Trust it, claim it, believe it, and live it. Now, this is what this sets us up for. But notice the last thing he said was flee from idolatry. You don't just say no. No more to that thing, whatever that thing is. But you flee from and you go to the yes in Christ. See, I'm convinced that the way out, you know, God said, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you a way away from those deceitful, delusional things. I'm going to give you a way away from the iceberg of the Titanic. I, I think the way out is that God promises he will always show us the superior worth of Jesus Christ. That following Christ is better than pursuing sin. Let me show you how I get that. We go to the next text or next part of Scripture. He says, listen, I'm speaking to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing. So, yeah, I'm going to ask you to run from sexual immorality. Yes, I'm going to ask you to flee from the love of money from the love of applause. I'm going to ask you to flee from people-pleasing. I'm going to ask you to flee from making your career a God. But I'm going to ask you to understand what you have in Christ, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? It's real benefits. It's real blessing that we have when we unite by faith to Jesus Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What he means, we participate in the benefits of the sacrificial system that God orchestrated in the New Testament and fulfilled in the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the third way we move to glorifying God in everything we do the third way we get there is this. We, active and pre- we, have, we understand active and present tense sharing in, what Christ per- in Christ's purchase benefits and fellowship. That we have an active right. We have an active privilege to share in everything Christ purchased by his blood that includes the benefits and the fellowship with him. So this gets us into how do I actually enjoy God? A couple of thoughts. Let me give some four questions to help us flee from idolatry and go to Christ and to experience the joy of the Lord. Here they go. The first one is this. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what do I really deserve? And the blood of Christ preaches to you, to us. Should have been us. That's what we deserve for pursuing glory other than living for the glory of the Lord. So sometimes I just got to stop. Say, what does Matt Evans really deserve? 
I deserve hell. I deserve the cross. And Jesus took it from me. That right there, the fact that I don't get what I deserve, brings me joy. Remember a time when your parents could have just walloped you? And they didn't, and you're like, whew, you had joy, didn't you? That's biblical joy when you understand in the economy of God and the justice of God and the holiness of God and the payment Christ paid to keep you from experiencing the wrath of God. There's joy that comes there. Second question, what has been purchased at great cost, the blood of Christ, and provided for me? What has been purchased? I don't think sometimes we sit down and, write, you know, as we approach the Thanksgiving, I don't think sometimes we really think deeply enough about the blessings of Jesus. Now, now, here's what I mean. We're good at thanking God. Man, I've got clothes. Praise the Lord. I've, maybe I, I, some of us can say thank you for our health. Thank you that you've restored my health. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the car. Thank you for the house. But I'm talking about things that all of those things we thank God for could be taken in an instant. And there's no biblical promise to say that they won't be. Read the book of Hebrews. So what are the things that God purchased at the cross and provided for me? And I, I'll just share a couple. Forgiveness. Just the joy of being forgiven. Can I say to you, based on the authority of the word of God, the greatest thing in the world is to be saved by Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. Removal of objective guilt before the Lord. We're not guilty because Christ took our guilt. Now, we have subjective feelings of guilt, but God has declared us not guilty. Identity. You know, part of my struggle, I've shared it with you many times, is a struggle for who is Matt Evans. And the world tells you, here's who you need to be. And here's what makes you you. One of the most liberating discoveries of my entire life was embracing the identity that was purchased for me at Calvary. Praise God. And nobody can take that away. Eternal hope, eternal life. This great, one of the greatest promises of all the Bible is all things promise. See, here's what I know. When bad things happen to you or you go through a valley or you go through a hard time, we struggle. Where do I put that? Where do I put that? How do I classify that in a way that does not threaten my joy or my ability to worship God and bring glory to God? Everybody listening to me will have, has have, or will have again that struggle. When bad things happen, when things I didn't ask for or pray happen, what do I do? And we have a promise. It's the greatest, my wife's life verse and her life and her family's life are just testimonies to this. We know that all things, even the bad things, work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If I'm that who that has been loved by God and given my life to him and am loving him back, if I'm the who that has been called by God, big word in Corinthians, right, part one, part two, part three, then I can trust all things will eventually and ultimately and eternally work for the good in my life. Some of you need that right now. And it was provided and purchased for you at the cross. Now listen, just because it's been provided 
Just because it's been purchased doesn't mean you've received it or are walking in that joy of it. But you can by faith right now. A final blessing or purchase benefit is sight to behold. Part of what happens when we're born again is we get sight and we can see things we've never seen before. The word behold is like to see something spectacular. Listen to what happens in salvation. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So if I'm an unbeliever, apart from the work of the Spirit of God, which comes through the preaching and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm blind to God. God doesn't seem good to me. Or God doesn't, God's like, meh, I believe in God, but I don't want to follow him and I want to pursue him and I don't want to rejoice in him always. I don't want to pursue the glory of the Lord. I want to pursue the glory of me. If God will help me pursue the glory of me, then I'll believe in that God and maybe I'll trust that God for a while as long as it works out for me. We're blind. Something happens though. Something happens because Christ is the image of God. So here's what happens. For God who said, let, the, let light shine out of darkness, goes to Genesis 1, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. I get new eyes to behold a new treasure, a new prize, and that prize is the goodness of God's glory in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. I see, so it's like this. Here, here's how it looks. Let's say you're going, let's say, let's go back to peanut butter pie, right? We can, go, we can go there. We can go anywhere. We can stop at peanut butter pie. Man, that was so good. Thank the chef. Thank the cook. Thank whoever's recipe it is. That's great. Or we can trace peanut butter pie back to God. Who made the peanuts? Who provided the weather, the soil, the conditions for the peanuts to go? Who gave the chef or the creator of that recipe, the mind to think creatively, to create deliciously, and we just glorified God. You can do anything, right, for the glory of God, short of sin. Right? The key is this. You ever been in like in a dark room and then the sun starts coming through a, a, like a, a crack in the blinds or the, it's a ray of sunlight? The key is to trace the rays back to the source. You can do that with almost anything short of sin. That's how you do whatever you do for the glory of God. Now, what happens next is Paul goes and he starts talking about food again. And that comes back from chapter 8, which we preached a while ago. He says, what I'm saying then is this, that food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. So I don't want you to be participants with demons. He's saying, listen, you have to be careful what you get entangled with by a, because it has a power behind it. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He's saying this. Listen, if you just follow your desires blindly and you just follow your appetites without discretion and without wisdom, there's power in your desires. You were given a desire to have for God. There's power in that desire for the Lord. It's a controlling power. But if you don't nurture that desire, you will pursue demonic desires. Now, you may not call them demonic, but they exert a power over you. At the extreme, it's called addiction. So what it, the fourth question is this. 
what power is affecting me right now. And there's a power in tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The fourth question comes from where Paul goes next, and he starts talking about what we talked about in chapter 8. So I'm not going to preach 25 through 30, but I'm just going to summarize it because he does that for us in 23 and 24. He starts talking about the freedom we have, and if you missed that, it's a couple of weeks ago. But he says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. So there's joy in purpose. God created us to live on purpose. He didn't just create us to be alive. He created us to have a purpose. And so is our purpose, as Paul's purpose was, to bless other people, to bless others with the gospel. So there's joy in knowing my purpose is to be an agent of good for the cause of the Lord and to bring glory to God by enjoying God. And so we come back. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do everything for the glory of God. Would you all, all campuses and online, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you three about to look inside your soul with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God this weekend and to to say three things. First of all, would you say this? I am on track to living my best life as outlined in the word of God. Whatever I do, I want to do, seek to do for the glory of God, actively fighting for joy in him, on track. Secondly, no, I I, I recognize that I'm off track, but I know where to go. I know what I need to lay down. I know what I need to pick up. I'm just off track. But I hear God calling me back. Because as the word just said, we read it a few verses ago, God is faithful. He will provide a way out and a path back to him. Third group, today I see for the first time that Jesus is worth following, trusting, believing in as Lord Savior, King, treasure. As that verse said, God is saying, let there be light in my heart. And I'm ready today to trust Jesus, follow him, and move forward in the best life he has purchased for me with his blood on the cross. Holy Spirit, you alone knows what, go, what is going on in each mind and each heart that's here listening to your word this weekend. Would you empower every person to take that step toward the life that you have bought and paid for by the precious blood of your son? Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.